dawning of a new age, Merlin. A new age in which call recorder pops up its own dialogue box and says, hey, I noticed the call recorder isn't working. Would you like to reinstall it? And I say, yes. It, that, that's a new thing. That it hence the new thing. age. That's right. Whoa. I wonder how Microsoft feels about that. They're probably mad. I, I'm not convinced that Microsoft is doing anything to intentionally screw with Call Recorder. I think it's just a side effect. Hmm. What quarrel does the boot have with an ant? <laughs> the, um, I mean, mustn't they know that a lot of people use Skype for podcasts? Am I, am I in the bubble here, John, to think that I, everyone I no. know uses it mostly to record podcasts? So here's the thing. Like, Microsoft did buy Skype at some point in the past. But right now, Microsoft's most important product where people talk to each other over the internet is Teams, not oh, Skype. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Teams is not they, Skype. They made my lady, I heard you guys talk about, I think you guys talked, a lot of people talked about this. My lady got forced from Slack onto Teams because mm -hmm, like, me I think you, you said this because it's included with, uh, you know, Whole Foods 365 or whatever you subscribe mm -hmm, to. It's included, quote unquote, for free. <laughs> yeah. Free as part of your multi-million dollar it wasn't package. you. I'm sorry. It wasn't you. It was the Slate Money it, podcast. No, it might have been me. you too. Okay. Well, it's everybody. I mean, it's a thing that happens. It is tales all this time, right? Your company mm -hmm. uses Slack, and then someone in accounting notices that you're already paying for Microsoft Everything Everything, because of course you are. And Microsoft Everything Everything has this new app called Teams. It's the same as Slack. So hmm. let's stop paying for Slack and save a lot of money. And, you know, I get a promotion, and then everyone else in the company suffers. Yep. Enterprise software. Easy to buy, difficult to use. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I mm, mm, mm. Yeah, it, it's, it's frustrating. I, I guess that's right. It's just that, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, there have been so it's really boring inside baseball stuff, but there have been a lot of developments. I used to be one of those people that would say, yeah, I know about the other options. I tried the other options. Um, and I, I'm increasingly more and more intrigued in trying the other options because... Um, I mean, I'm already so exposed with all these weird startup apps that I like to use, but you know, it's not like Skype is that dependable. I mean, it's, it's, it's good at the call quality stuff. The app is garbage. The service is good. I think the service is actually remarkable. The service itself, the like, it doesn't fail utterly except in like pretty extreme circumstances, but I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you think? You think we should be trying different things? I'm open to alternatives but in the meantime we just keep using what we have and I, I, the call recorder thing doesn't bother me honestly because it's just as discussed in ATP like if, when it doesn't install well yeah I had to reinstall a call recorder yada yada but then you do it and it works right all I care about is it working right so I'm fine with it right for now but yeah. I'm always on the lookout for alternatives but I am very aware the alternatives could also end up being worse so someday something will come down the pike and I'll try it out from my area of the bubble and this is really this is just me Sam mouth words, Skype loses about half of its value to me without call recorder. Meaning I could still use it as just a monitor because I'm using audio hijack. I'd love to get to a place where I didn't feel like I needed a three, two, one backup strategy to oh, record yeah, no, audio. I would, I would, without call recorder, I would not use Skype. I mean, unless I would I not. To. Yeah. I mean, I could see using it as a monitor, but that, this is the thing with Skype is that at least historically it has been the default standard for dealing with somebody well, for, first of all, if, with us, for dealing with people you do know to record a podcast, but also for dealing with people you don't know. Like if you needed, pre, in the pre-Zoom days, 
you mm-hmm. needed to get somebody on the horn, Skype was the path of least resistance, especially if you don't care about super high um, audio quality. So I, I could see continuing to use it, but I guess my thinking is that if Skype did think, uh, how, do, how do you put this? They would, they would have put Ecamm's product out of business a long time ago if they thought it was valuable. If they cared about it, yeah. They would have made right? it themselves. And, and yeah, I, exactly. And honestly, it's a mystery to me what, what is important to Skype. Is it a bunch of people, do people pay for Skype to make, I, I used to remember it was like a replacement for long distance calling for people doing international calls, but that's yeah. not a thing anymore. It was it's, the first voice over IP app that a consumer could easily use. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I just assume that it will slowly fade, and eventually one day, like Skype is no longer supported. Please move to Microsoft Teams, and then we'll be done with this whole Skype podcasting thing, and we'll all be forced to use something else. And that's the yeah. Way this world but works. like you know, it's 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 just frustrating because, um, well, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's inside baseball stuff. But it's it's just that um, you, I don't know. You do get used to a certain kind of workflow, and then you ex- expect the thing to be dependable. But like a lot of those companies less than a decade ago that said, hey, I'm going to build my whole, we're going to basically build our company on top of what Facebook offers. That's such a wily coyote, coyote situation. And I know Ecamm has other things, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's annoying. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, know. it's got, we got a lot of good years of service out of Skype. I'm perfect. If Skype goes away, you know, this year, I'm fine. Like, you know, how many, would we get like a decade of use yeah, out of Skype no, no, as a reliable, dependable, you know? Over it, over a decade. But it's the part that, the part that kind of grinds my gears is that, you know, that it's just the utter hostility of the entire app, especially since they changed to whatever the hell this, we took the UI for a mobile version of this and put it on the desktop. I don't yeah. know how much that affected under the hood stuff, but it is such a hostile app. I mean, de- all the way down to like, it's just, it's really difficult to get it to, to play ball on the most basic stuff. But then on top of it, in the age of Zoom style calling, why does it always want to add a blur to my background? I always have to go, and if I'm doing video with Skype, I always have to go in and double check, not just that call recorders still load. I guess that's technically not Microsoft's problem, but you know what I mean? Like, wh- I don't want the blurry background. Like, stop everybody, doing it. Everybody loves the blurry background. It's like, mm. it's like the, the major feature that you have to have. It just calls so much attention, like in a way that's not helpful. It, it's, like, it's like bleeps for curse words for your background. Because now you that know, it's blurred, you're wondering what it is. But if you just see it, you realize it's just just dirt on the wall. You know what, John? I got a thought on that. And then I'm, let's move on to our follow-up. We have a very good follow-up here. The the uh, My feeling on it is this. You either curse or you don't curse. Don't don't use asterisks. This is not the 1930s. If you, you if mean you like can't in bring, text? Yeah. Like if you can't bring yourself to use the F-bomb of your own design. Like if you're quoting somebody and you're really mm-hmm. prim, I understand your style guide may not permit that, but mm-hmm. I, you know what? You curse or don't curse. Don't do the asterisk. It's, it's mm-hmm. too cute by a half. Like when, when, when it's your own words, you mean? When it's your own words, like somebody, or I guess maybe sometimes it's the headline writer wrote it because as everybody should know, but doesn't, the person who wrote the piece rarely is the person who picked the headline. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what some of the biggest unnecessary cock-ups in media are today, I think, is that the person who wrote the article was like, yeah, actually, that's really not what the article's about. Yeah, but like, oh, I'm going to A-B test these, and then we'll pick the yeah. one that worked better. I, I do I do kind of like that as a, you know, uh, schadenfreude, I don't know what it is. Uh, like, we all, uh, anyone who has ever been interviewed for an article is familiar with the phenomenon of the article not coming out the way you thought it would come out based on the interview <laughs> that you had with the author, right? And then <laughs> yeah, the, author, that. Yeah. the author goes and publishes their article, and then some other sucker 
puts a headline on top of it that the author thinks that's not the headline that I wanted on this article at all. So it's yeah, maybe even the, maybe the person that you uh, you interviewed said on at least two and probably four occasions. <laughs> I think calling it the angle. rise and fall of getting things done would not be a good uh, title for your New Yorker article. Yeah, but, you well, know. yeah. I mean, maybe in the New Yorker you get to pick your own headline. I don't know how that works, but, but oh, the, I think the G- they should the, let Gian Tolentino pick it. She's really the, smart. The, the idea that the author, the article author, gets the same experience as the article subject. And they're just saying, that's not what I wanted at all. It's like, well, right. who is getting what they want? I suppose the editor-in-chief, yeah. who knows? Yeah, it's, it's frustrating to be, to, feel, to be or feel misunderstood, but that's, that's triply worse when you feel like you're being sort of deliberately misunderstood. And I bet as a writer, that must be even more acute. I mean, but, but at least it's explicable for a reason. Like, I think of, I think of it this way. Like, it, it, when I have to explain myself, it's difficult. Right. Yeah, expecting yeah. someone else to explain me or anything that I know about in a way that I'm happy with is just never going to happen because I, ba- I can barely do it myself in brief moments. And most of the time I write something myself and I'm like, oh, that's not really what I meant. It's close, but it's not really what I meant. And then that the idea that someone else is going to write something about me or something I think or care a lot oh, about I know. that I'm going to be satisfied with. It's never. You, would you happen. trust me to that? I wouldn't. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. I probably no. get the bit rate wrong. No, or, or something. That's that's your thing is that you get I do it that. ever so slightly wrong, and it's yeah. worse than getting it totally wrong, as you know. Narcissism, well, I disagree, right? but mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> you get it totally um, wrong sometimes too. I do. Really, I do sometimes get it totally wrong. But I think what frustrates you, uh, of course, you have to fact check me on this and, and give me the headline. But my sense is that it's yes, it is the off by one error, which I don't really know what that means, but I'm using it. <laughs> but it's it's that it's that um, it's it's obvious enough through wording and cadence that you know what I was trying to say, but then I did get it wrong. I think that Mm -hmm. drives you a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you convince yourself that you're, uh, you're getting it wrong was the real thing. And five years later, there's 73 folders. Yeah. The real thing is gone. Yeah, exactly. I've been thinking about this, uh, for personal reasons lately. Uh, I gotta find, I gotta go look up the CGP gray video and I've got to find the actual, like, basis for what he's talking about. You know that one video where he talks about the two sides, you are two, two minds or mm, whatever. Yeah, I didn't like that video. Well, I didn't like the dragon video, so we're even. Um, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can pick one CGP gray video we don't like. Is that well, I, 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 do, I have been thinking a lot about the dragon video too. Like who's going to die before the COVID or vaccine mm-hmm, gets to them. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, but that phenomenon, I, I, there's something he said in that I've heard said before, and I do think about it a lot, which is that and the, the way our mind, and I'm not saying brain, the way that our mind works is that we can come up with a reason for why we did almost anything, including when you're having some kind of like you've gotten a rod through your head from a bus accident and like <laughs> <laughs> why you could perceive this, but not that. And is the ball in this hand or that hand or whatever, you know, that phenomenon is. I've just been thinking about that a lot. How like sometimes we have a strong feeling. We have a well, one might have a strong feeling, a strong emotion. And then like the stronger the feeling or the emotion is, the more we come up with the reason, the rational or very fair reason why we feel that way. And I think I think I do that with Star Wars quotes, probably. Mm. You know, but pray yeah. I do not alter it further. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's, we're just big uh, balls of meat that uh, we hope work in some reasonable fashion and eventually don't. Meatballs. Hmm. Pork, veal, mm-hmm. all the trimmings. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by SaneBox. You can learn more about SaneBox right now by visiting SaneBox.com slash diffs. You know, I think you ask a lot of people out there, work at home, work at office, work at whatever. They're going to tell you one of the biggest time wasters for their job got to be email. Listen, you don't want to get me started on email. 
I have a lot of thoughts. But I'll tell you this, uh, it says here that a recent study found that almost 50% of the time that managers spend tending to their inboxes is spent on emails that should have never been sent to them or didn't need an answer. That's almost every email I've ever gotten. And that's a bummer. But you know, what if you could just press a magic button and never see those time-wasting emails again? Well, friends, that is exactly what SaneBox does. With just a few clicks, some drags, SaneBox automagically gets your email under control, filters out all the messages that do not need your focus. And you don't even have to switch email apps. What? Because guess what? It works in whichever email client you already use. This is true. It also has some nifty features like the Sane Black Hole, where you can vanquish senders you never want to hear from again. Get out of here. Get in that oubliette. You're in the Sane Black Hole now. Also, stuff like Sane Reminders for sending email reminders to your future self. Hello, future self. Here's a reminder. Sanebox is really cool. I've used it. And I think the most amazing thing about it is, well, aside from the fact that it does work, is how easy it is. There's nothing for you to learn. All you have to do is drop the relevant emails into a folder and it learns what it's supposed to do with that. You're going to have to go and try this for yourself to really see how this works, but it is pretty dang amazing. So why don't you do that right now? Why don't you go see how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. You visit SaneBox.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. You go there today, okay? Start your free trial and you're going to get a $25 credit that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash diffs, sanebox.com slash diffs. Our thanks to Sanebox for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Um, we got some follow-up, <laughs> some of which is I'm dreading, but uh, we have some follow-up, uh, some John-centric follow-up. What, what do you have to share with us? Oh, this is... I guess it's a couple of weeks old now. Glasses. I had a whole show where I was fretting about my glasses. Um, <laughs> and the reason we didn't talk about it that much is I think only like a day or two after we recorded, not released, but recorded that episode, uh, I had a pre-Christmas miracle and my glasses were ready way earlier than I thought they would be. And what was the original, if I could ask, just to remind our listeners, what was the original estimate for John needs his glasses? Two John, to three weeks. Yeah. And that would be a long time for you. Yeah, and it ended up being like I, less than a week or something. So I was mm -hmm. super happy. I got my glasses. I got what I got were my computer glasses. I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> Those, these are the glasses. And this is part of part of the scholarship that I did related to these glasses. I was, you know, because everyone, everyone in this house is either a child who wasn't born when I bought these glasses or is old. And so the question was, how old are these frames? When did you hmm. get these frames? And so we had we had various reckons. So we had to go back to the family photo library and just scroll backwards until we could find pictures oh. of me with my previous glasses and then forward until you find the new ones. And we said, get somewhere in here. Of course, I've already forgotten, but I think it was like 1998-ish. That's Whoa. when I bought these frames. And you've just updated the prescription over time? Yes, I just get new lenses and all the time. Whoa. Um, and the reason I like these, I like them because they were comfortable on my head. They're light. Uh, they're light and you got you know, those Heinrich, Heinrich Himmler glasses. I, that's not how I would characterize them. I know. I know. <laughs> I don't think they're like, no, kids. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, and so they came back and I was super excited to have them, but they came back not damaged, but misshapen. Oh no. Like they I put a little them. sandbox and scooted around. I know. I, I opened the two little, what are they called? Stems. I forgot. I looked this up once. Arms. Um, and like it was like a trapezoid instead of a, uh, not a trapezoid, a parallelogram instead of a rectangle. Oh, right. Because when you open them, they should just, you know, they should come straight out of the glasses. But they were shifted like a parallelogram. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, too, too, too wide um, or too narrow? No, parallelogram. Come on, shapes. Look it up. I know what parallelogram is. Two parallel lines and two, two, two non-parallel yeah. lines. Yeah, I know. Right. So the, the slanty ones are the stems and the flat side is the part with the glasses. Okay. So the two little things coming out of my glasses, instead of being at 90 degrees, were Oh, I slanted. see. Oh, no. Right. Well, that and you're won't like, okay, do. Well, yeah. So like they were like a little bit bent or whatever. So I was trying to massage them back in shape. So that was problem number one. Problem number two is I put on the glasses and they weren't comfortable anymore. I'm like, what the hell? These are my comfortable glasses. They're the same frames. I recognize them. It's not like they replaced them. You couldn't get a new one of these. They're from the 90s. Um, <laughs> and somehow the little things behind my ears were like bothering behind my ears and the whole point of these glasses is that they don't bother my head behind my ears these are my comfortable glasses <sighs> so i don't know what the deal is i've been trying to sort of massage them back into shape this is why you need the sandbox do you know what i'm talking about they put i know it in the, i do they know put it with the hot about. rocks they put it in the hot yes. rocks and it makes it bendable yeah. and they go witcher 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 yeah that's <laughs> there's a little that back in the day i don't know if they still do this but back in the day places that um sold you ridiculously expensive eyeglasses had a little uh, sort of bucket in the countertop that was filled with glass beads that were heated. <laughs> and you would stick the stems. They're not called stems. What the hell are they called? I keep calling them stems. Uh, temples. Arms? Temples. They would stick the little... They're not talking about the nose pads. Yeah, the temples, I think, are the things that stick out. They go mm. behind your ears. Sure, like it's not little... arms? Oh, you're talking about the grabby fingers that go around your ears. No, the whole thing is called a temple. The whole it's thing that connects an to arm. hinge. Go, look it up. Look it up. Apple silicone. Anyway, everyone okay. knows what I'm talking about. That little sticky thing, they would stick into the, the bath of hot glass beads and that would make it pliable so you could bend them. It works better with that. plastic. I'd glasses. love to have one of those for my home. Yeah. I mean, you just stick your hand in there, I suppose. Stick my like, hand you put in? Yeah. Sous vide. Whatever, you know, whatever needs adjustment. Yeah. <laughs> sous vide, a chicken breast in there, like whatever. <laughs> your shoes, just, yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, that works a little bit better with plastic than with metal. These are made of some kind of metal. I'm being very careful with them because I'm not going to like, you know, bend these and break them because I'm going to break my glasses from the 90s. I'm going to be sad. Anyway, I've got them into a reasonable shape here and they're still not as comfortable as they were, but I feel like maybe I'm like re-breaking them in. Who knows? Second thing about them is they are my computer glasses. They are for, like I was insistent when I went in and like I need to be able to see my computer. Like it's it's all I do all day. Mm -hmm. I'm perfectly fine to have a separate pair of glasses for driving. These just need to be for computer because I spend very little time driving, especially now and a lot of time sitting in front of my computer. And so these are great for sitting in front of my computer, but, uh, and I was hoping they would be like my around the house glasses, but their range is short enough that when I sit on the couch, oh, I can't see my TV because it's too far. Away. Oh God. Right. So, I mean, it's <sighs> fine. Like I wanted them to be computer Entropy glasses is cruel. and they are. So cruel. And my TV is just that my TV is pretty far away to, you know, I have a, I have a room and the way everything's arranged TV actually is kind of far away. So I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. But these are my computer glasses. That's fine. What I did do, though, is I immediately brought in my other glasses instead of waiting for the insurance to refresh in January. Because I'm like, oh, no, I can't, you know, I've got to get my now I've got to get my TV slash driving glasses ASAP. So I brought those frames in, which are not from the 90s. They're probably from the early 2000s. And said, you know, put the put the distance prescription in these. And I got those back pretty quick, too. I've already got those back. So I used those for driving and TV and these for computer. Now. My driving and TV glasses are also cranked down a little bit. I can tell they're cranked down a little bit because now I'm like hypersensitive to this stuff that I probably still have. I probably have like 
2022 with these on instead of 2020 you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah 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 and i could tell that little bit of like looking down my road at like street signs at the end of the block and being like i used to be able to see that a little bit clearer than i can now right it's fine um but next time i go in i'm probably going to say and, and it's kind of good because with my new driving glasses i can actually see my computer with my new driving glasses so he did kind of find like a cool sweet spot. It's more comfortable for me to use my computer glasses and I do, but in a pinch, I can see my computer with my driving TV glasses, which I couldn't do with my previous one. That's good to know. That's very good to know. Yeah. Right. So I understand why he did it, but next time I'm going to go in, I'm going to be like, look, I'm dedicated to the two glasses lifestyle. Just give yep. me the, give me the full power for distance and I'll keep going with my computer. Take, take as long as you need. I always feel, I don't know. That's another one of those mills like funerals and weddings. Where you're just like, you just feel like you're going to be ground up in the gears of this industry. And the guy on the other side of the aisle is just like thinking about his boat payment. Like, I always want to be like, you know, take take your time. Let's really get this right because I have to live with this for a while. Yeah, my my eye doctor guy, we've been going to him for, oh God, years and years now. Um, I really like him. And he does, he's not as good as my original doctor guy. God, can I remember his name? Mm. Oh, I got to do this. All right. We'll find um, it for notes. Yeah. What was your name? Do you want me to start guessing? Is it Dr. Dr. Kwan? No, he was Doctor Doctor Tesseract. Ah, oh, my mom. Doctor Lloyd. The name. Uh, I'm I'm not going to get it anyway. Okay. He he, uh, he was I my got doctor. More if you need him. He was okay. my doctor. I remember Marcovici. He was oh. my uh, my dentist. On Is that Long a last Island. name? Yeah, Doctor Marcovici. Yeah, I think okay, I got cool. that right. That was my dentist on Long Island. I ended right. up my dentist that I when I moved to Massachusetts. My dentist here went to dental school with my dentist on Long Island. Right, hmm. both Jewish men. And you'll wow. be shocked okay. to learn that my eye doctor on Long Island was also a Jewish man. And I can't believe I can't <laughs> sure remember his name. That's relevant to the anecdote. I'm just, just saying, like, I'm trying, I'm just saying, I'm trying yeah. to, if you're trying to come up with names, it was like, yep. God. Banks, Hollywood, optometry. Soros is behind it all. John, I would love to see you. Maybe we can make this a challenge for the show because we do challenges sometimes for our members. Um, I, think, I think we should both explore fun, fun, fun choices for frames. I would love to see you get away from from that Himmler look that you're attached to. It's I would not, love to see. Can I finish? The, okay. What All is right. it? What is it that is it because that is it because you think that the lenses are small? Is that why it looks like? No, uh, it's the pictures that got small. But hmm. in, in any case, you get your Himmler glasses. I'm glad those work. I'm glad you have comfortable glasses. I would love to see you. I've, you realize my driving glasses are even more uh, Himmler like that. Okay. I would love to see you in like a fun, like a Bruce Valanche kind of look or like a Harry Carey. I would love to, like Michael Caine old guy glasses. I would love to see you in some comically large, thick. You now, no. Bruce Valanche, he has a lot of fun with it. I think he no. should keep the beard personally. But, uh, but it, even without the beard, he's got fun, like giant pink frames. You know, I would love to see you in something fun like that. I think that would mix it up. I think your family would enjoy it. I think they would see a, a fun side of you that you withhold from everybody, including them and me. I don't withhold my fun things. Fun frames? Would you be into that as a challenge for the show? Probably not. Uh, two hmm. reasons. Uh, oh, Number one, we don't do challenges. To, we have topics. It's related to what I got sidetracked on when I couldn't remember my oh, okay. my, my childhood optometrist's name. Um, <laughs> the reason I, I, was, I was trying to say You're that really, I like... Okay, I, you know me. I don't say this. You are now officially old. If you have to stop the anecdote because you cannot remember a detail that is of significance to no, no one... No, I'm, I'm circling back. I'm just popping oh, this back sorry. here. There's I, a pin I wanted in it. Okay. to say that I liked my I liked my eye doctor, even though maybe not as much as was he was he a Jewish man, John? Maybe not as much as my original my my original uh, eye doctor was a Jewish man. Okay, um, hmm. 
maybe not as much as my original, but I like them both because they'd spend a lot of time with you, as you said, and, you know, yeah. really talk to you about all the things. And you know, when you're talking to them, they're so bored of having this conversation because they have the same conversation with everybody, but they make you feel like you're the first person they're having this conversation with. So I really appreciate that. But because it's COVID time, as I said, I wanted to get the hell out of that place. Oh, yeah. Because it was indoors. And so I didn't have time for any of that conversation. So maybe post COVID, post vaccination, mm -hmm. I'll go back and we'll have a longer heart to heart about my uh, various options. Anyway, circling back, gla fun glasses as a thing. Mm -hmm. I am 100% open to new frames every single time in non-COVID times that I have gone to the eye place. I have looked at frames. I look at frames every single time. I try them all on. I look at them. I look in the mirror. I show my wife. I show my kids. What do you think of this? What do you think of this? And then I get this face. You can't see it because it's a podcast. No, I know, I I know this the face. face. I know the face. And the face says, uh-uh. Mm -hmm. nope. No. No. Okay, and as much okay. as my health family hates my current glasses, every time I try a different one, they <sighs> like because you look like Henry Kamler, John. Just now, wait here's, here's I shave my head. Should... Okay. Well, you know, he, he did have cool coats. Now, here's what I think we should do. You know that analogy you like about one, one, uh, one slices, one, one chooses. You know how you like that analogy? It's I not think an analogy. I, it's a kind of analogy. It's, it's not. A, it's not a kind. <clears throat> okay, but I think what we should do is open this up to our members. The members pick. They pick. I don't know no. how we work this out. Maybe it's a, for, a forced rank voting. Now, now, now that's forced rank, rank choice. Now that that's a CGP <laughs> great video. I like. Maybe what we say is f somehow it will be chosen. What will be chosen for each of us is five uh, different uh, uh, frames ideas for the Warby Parker company. We get the five frames. We photograph ourselves. Okay. We put it online. Now different people. This is the choosing versus the cutting. Then we put it, we, we, you know, we, we pull the members and we know how painful that can be. They say, you need to go get these. That's how you end up with a very cool Bruce Falange look. No, that, that's how I end up with the least worst pair of, a bad pair of glasses. It's called the wisdom of crowns, John. No, no, no? I, I, I veto this. I'm very sensitive with my it glasses. It wouldn't be that expensive. I will you know? get new frames, kind of like Skype. I'll get new frames probably when these ones break or my kids step on them <laughs> or they finally, I, I, I finally try to adjust them one. Don't put your you glasses know. where kids can step on them. That's a bad That's, idea. Now I have two pair. Now I'm vulnerable, right? Because you normally oh. they're on my face and I'm good, but now I have two of them. So one of them's on my face, but one of them is not on my face and it's somewhere right. in the house where my they're children can. your ears are in the box. It. Two is one, one is none. Yeah. I get it. Okay. I mean, my glasses are in, in a case right now hmm. to be protected from children, but they're they're devious. You should see boy mm. the kids have really ramped up the colonization of my life with their crap you mean getting into your area area forget about it. like my, my mm. defending my areas used to be like oh, i'll defend this little <sighs> three square feet uh, or five square inches or whatever but now it's like yeah. okay what about the non-defended area non-defended area used to be like oh maybe they'll mess things up or maybe they'll move things mm. around or whatever now all non-defended area this is the new thing food food items is this the, like the yogurt cups could be like where your phone goes Bowls, yogurt cups. Here's the big thing: utensils covered in yogurt. Oh boy! How about laying those down on all in my your furniture? area? They put it in your area. Everywhere on my bed, on my oh. nightstand, just like actual food, <sighs> things that held food, and utensils that were used to eat food. Can we also can we also not open boxes and packages on my part of the bed and then leave all the things there? Could we? Is there is there a better area where where you could open a box and then leave all the contents rather than where I sleep, where my children play with their toys? Is is there is there an area where that you could do that would be Maybe in one of your other areas, which is everywhere else. And, and Colonization. I sound, yeah, and I, and I sound I sound upset about it, but really I'm not because mm. I, I know I'm not because I have a I have a compare, and my compare is my wife who is at her wits' end for this stuff, and she's you know just gets very upset about it. And I, every time I get upset about it, I think about how sad I'll be when my kids leave the house, and I'll say, you know, know what, I'd rather have them here destroying everything that I own 
them yeah. not here and me missing them. So that's that's where I come down, and that's how I get myself down off that ledge. But I can tell you, just before sitting down to do this podcast, I found a large spoon covered with yogurt on my nightstand. That's a way of saying I love you. Mm-hmm. I love you, Heinrich Himmler. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Hover. You can learn more about Hover right now by visiting hover.com slash diffs. You know, Hover has been one of Relay FM's longest running sponsors. Um, I'm a big fan of theirs. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But um, let's, let's get to the important stuff. Let's say you get this one big idea, right? What are you going to do? Well, maybe you start a business. Uh, I don't know. But, you know, what, whatever your business is, okay, you got to have a domain name. You got to get a domain name. And so for many entrepreneurs, Hover is that big leap. I've talked a lot today and I'm hoarse and very silly, but that's a, you go to Hover, you know, that's what I'm saying. And, and, uh, and they have over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. That's so many domain name extensions. No matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. And they have excellent technical support to answer any questions that you may have. They are dedicated to getting you online, not upselling you. Um, tell you the truth, real talk. I have domains registered two, three, four different places, but Hover is my go-to. It is so fast. I'll tell you a secret fact. Sometimes I'm in the middle of recording a program and it occurs to me that I should buy a domain name because that's how I roll. And, and Hover is the place that I do that. It is crazy fast and easy to use. Once you got your domain, there's all kinds of cool stuff you can do with it. You can get it up and running, pointed to the place you want to be. You know, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I buy a lot of my, 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 my real domain names and my joke domain names. The thing is, they're all still domain names. That's the thing. But what about you, Mr. Entrepreneur or Ms. or MX Entrepreneur? What about, what about you? What about the .inc? Have you heard of .inc.inc? It's a new premium domain extension for businesses that want to be taken seriously. We demand to be taken seriously. Have you checked to see if your brand name is currently available free .inc? Well, don't let someone beat you to it. You need to get your brands.inc domain. You go right now. You go to hover.com slash diffs. You just go there. From small startups to large enterprises, brands are taking notice of the credibility of a .inc domain. Over 56% of Forbes's most valuable brands are registered. They got their brand names. That includes PayPal, Facebook, Fox, Amazon, and Walmart. They got the .incs. What about you? Huh? Huh? You don't want to be left out in the cold. A lot to it. A lot going on. Hover has free who is privacy. You don't have to pay extra for that. The bad guys don't get your information. Boo, bad guys. As I said, the website has a clean uh, user interface, very easy to use. And they also have monthly sales on popular top-level domains. It's easy to see why Hover is the popular choice for people starting businesses. Millions of company names end with ink, and now your domain name can too. Upgrade your domain to the perfect match. Join over 56% of Forbes's most valuable brands and register your .inc domain today. All you got to do, you go to hover.com slash diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S, and then it's going to get you 10% uh, discount on all of uh, your new purchases. Uh, that could be your .inc, or it could be your, you know, your, uh, I like a .limo, whatever it is you want. 10% off, not too shabby. That URL, one more time, it's hover.com slash diffs. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Our thanks to Hover for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Listen, uh, I think we also, oh God, John, let's get it out of the way. Uh, there's a second piece of follow-up that I'm sure listeners are going to want to hear about. John, how, what, what happened with your toe? 
<laughs> many, many, many moons ago. This is the stuff of nightmares. It's not so bad. It. Come on. There's I no don't want photos. to imagine it's a I'm not going to paint the word picture. I'm just going to I'm going to give it to you in pigs and bunnies. All right. Uh, many moons ago, I had a problem with my toe. I tried <laughs> I tried to avoid the solution that was recommended to me by a podiatrist, and it didn't work. The podiatrist recommended solution was, let's take that toenail off. I tried for months not to have that toenail taken off. Eventually, I had to have that toenail taken off. Um, at the time, I was given the option. The option was I can take that toenail off for you, or I can take it off and make sure it never grows back. And at the time, I asked, okay, um, I, because I had pre-done the research, and I knew the way they make it not grow back is to sort of like chemically burn the thing that grows your toenail and say, well, no more toenail. Don't worry about that. Um, uh, but what I asked was, <laughs> if I decide uh, to not make it permanent, in other words, take the toenail off, but just don't do anything else, what do you think the odds are of this toenail growing back normal? And the guy said, really bad. That's not going to happen. He's <laughs> like, basically, if your toenail is messed up in any way or has any trauma, it's not going to grow back normal. It's going to grow back weird. It's going to grow mm. back thick, lumpy, uh, at the uh, wrong uh, angle, uh, misshapen. Okay, all right. Good, good, good. That's it's good. just a toenail. Get over uh, it. It's not. Right. Um, You're looking and, for like I've just I've been going through a lot with migration assistant for for reasons that might become <laughs> apparent later, and I'm always I, I, I migration assistant is not a great experience. I do have tips, but one nice thing is it'll say to you, hey, if you don't want to do this right now, you can always come back and do it later, and then it's pretty <laughs> good options for saying, okay, this last time, uh, the the seventh time, it didn't work. Do you want to? Do you want to keep all the stuff that's already here or do you want to start over? My point is migration assistant for all of its failings makes it clear that you will have another chance if you need it. And I think that's what you're saying to your doctor is like, is this really worth such a permanent solution <laughs> if it grows back as a Quasimodo toenail? God. I, I, right? I was, you like to know uh, what your options are. I'm amazed that you've managed to link that to migration assistance. So well, bravo. I got a lot on my mind right now, John. Um, but yeah, but I went, uh, this was months ago and I went with, let's not make it permanent. So let's give, let's give this toenail a shot. Even though the guy said the guy who was hundred percent right that this toenail would have yep. to come off despite me insisting for six months that it wasn't going to happen. And it did. Then, then you smack the believe sign over your office door. Yeah, exactly. I said, all right. And I said, look, well, so if, if I, if it does, if it comes back weird, you can just take it off again and then make it permanent. He's like, sure. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to turn. Maybe down it could another. be like a haircut. Maybe if you, if you find a, a Jewish toe doctor you like, you could just come back and it could be like. You know, uh, Andy and Barney going to see uh, a Floyd the Barber, and yeah, he could just well, come in and tr just trim your Quasimodo toenail. Uh, I, I, let me tell you, take, getting this toenail taken off is not an experience I recommend to anybody. Not pleasant. okay. All right. Um, uh, so mm -hmm. uh, that that was a while ago, uh, and for the longest time, you know, it took a while for my toe to heal. That wasn't pleasant either. I feel like that might have made it onto the show was that you'd had something done, and then you had a very long recovery, if memory serves. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was annoying recovery. It was fine, but it was it take it doesn't heal as fast as you think. Mostly because, uh, according to my uh, toe doctor, there's not a lot of blood flow down there, right? Mm. Especially mm. as an older person, like mm -hmm. your, your you check toes out that Roman stuff. Or that's why your toes get cold. You know, it's not a lot of circulation. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, so, for the longest time, I'm like, well, I don't. This toenail's not coming back at all. So forget. Like we didn't make it permanent, but I, I there's no toenail there, and I don't see mm. any sign of one. And it's been months, and so I guess it's just like, oh, well, like, we didn't do the permanent thing, but it doesn't look like this thing's coming back anyway, so, you know, fine with me. Like, it's all healed up now, so it doesn't, you know, problem question. solved. Um, so, you, so they remove... Uh, 
They remove your. They medically remove remove your. I really hope this closes the loop on this. They medically remove your toenail. Now, I, for example, as a child, my my mom was really really gentle with me when she trimmed my nails, but I was always very sensitive, and I would always feel like my nails had been cut like sort of too short, and it it was a very especially like touching corduroy or something. It's like Mm -hmm. an orange juice and toothpaste situation where Mm -hmm. it's not strictly painful, but definitely sensitive. Did did you was it you're all bandaged up, right? You couldn't feel like the rawness of your open Quasimodo toe. Uh, Discomfort, pain? Right right after it happened, you'll be begging for the rawness of your Quasimodo toe. No, it feels like you've Mm -hmm. had someone slice something off of you, which is painful, Mm. and it feels like an injury and not like, oh, it's a little sensitive. Right, like a vestigial tail. Yeah, I imagine that's awful. Eventually, when it healed up, now it is more sensitive than having a toenail there, but not in a Hmm. painful way. Now it's Could you get a prosthetic? Have you talked to your doctor about that? No. Okay. You could probably make one out of like a Tupperware lid or something. Depending on how it heals, some people do just paint where the toenail was. Huh. You, they paint where the, t- with like a, you mean like a, like a Stan Sitwell eyebrow thing? Like you uh, do with, like. With nail polish. Okay. Because on a regular you paint basis, your toenails, you just do it once. I mean, okay. it eventually comes off, but yeah, it's just like painting your toenails. I'll, I'll imagine like a Margaret Tenenbaum kind of thing. Like you get something, you strap onto there. And then that makes you, you, your partner, all your other medical professionals, professionals happy because they don't have to look at the Quasimodo uh, remnant. Yeah, it's 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 like eyebrows, like okay, it, but even, but even better, well, exactly. Like, yeah, many more people are looking at your face than are looking at your toes. You put God literally really. anything there that looks anything like a toenail, people just read it as toenail. Oh, it looks like nothing to me. Got it. Okay. Yeah, because people, most of the people aren't staring at your toes, except for the people <sighs> who are googling for John. No, no, but please, John, John, this is. <laughs> all right um so that was a while ago and I'd, i had just been resigned to the fact that okay i had this thing it was it got taken off it healed now i don't have a toenail big deal <laughs> fine this is me mm-hmm. now <laughs> <laughs> okay okay all right uh-huh. fast forward to like a month ago when i'm looking down at my uh toe where it doesn't have the nail and I'm poking at it. I'm like, wait a second. That's not my toe. That's nail. You got a little Voldemort head coming out. Not a little one. I'm like, where the hell did this come from? It was like overnight. Whoa, it's there's a like a toenail, like not a little bit of a toenail, but like, like a lot of a toenail. Like nature finds a way. Yeah. Like that's amazing. And what, what so was it? I, I, uh, I, does it, I don't know if a toenail grows up or out. I mean, it's going, it's growing towards the tip of my toe. But it's starting at the, uh, starting the, at the, the, yeah, starting the cuticle, at the, like, baseline, and then, like, slowly moving up, like, like, a, yeah. like, a, like, a, like a crank up car yeah. window. At the okay. longest part, it's like, it's like, a, uh, you know, three quarters of a centimeter of toenail. I'm like, what, how do we go from zero to three quarters of a centimeter of toenail coming out? Wow. Right, so that's, so that's number one, is like, okay. yes, nature, nature finds a way. Number uh-huh. two, this toenail is not normal. <laughs> oh, John. It's not. It's not full width, so I feel like that's a problem. Oh God! It sounds like it's very slimming. It's not like no. It's like it's like the left. It's like the left three quarters. Oh God! I and, hate this so much. And oh. and it's not going straight. It's kind of it's kind of hanging left. Caddy Wumpus. It's, it's kind of hanging left. Uh huh. Okay. And it's also not entirely parallel to the surface of my toe. Okay, oh, <laughs> like you pop a wheelie off of it. That was a month ago. A month ago, you noticed new growth. 
So I so now I've got my eye on it, and I'm like, what are you what are you up to down there? <laughs> I got an eye on you. Right. Okay. So I mean, clearly it's not like even if this thing continues along its current path, it's not gonna cover my toe like a regular toenail, but its current path is screwed up <laughs> you anyway. Were so you were warned. Yeah, no. So I feel like the, the podiatrist is like the what is that? Like a uh, Cassandra? The one yeah. who who yeah, condemned who, condemned to uh yeah. Tells everyone what's gonna happen and no one, no one believes her. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's oh, that's my, him. My my toe doctor is uh, not named Cassandra, but might as well be. Yeah, that's that's a Greek. I think it's a Greek name, not a not a Jewish name. The question becomes: Now, I imagine you must have developed a little bit of an attachment to your loquazi. Now, are you going to be the kind of monster that goes in and says, you know, I can't have a hump on my toe. Let's get rid of this uh, three quarter uh, with toenail. Well, here's the thing. It's easy if we're gonna do the whole. If we're gonna do Nazis, let's go full. It's easy to kill baby Hitler, right? Uh huh. You wait for Hitler to get full, get full grown adult, and have a giant army. Now you gotta throw the might of the rest of the free world at this guy to take him down. Well, eventually, yeah. So right now, I've got a little baby Hitler toenail, mm. right? Okay. And if I did decide, <sighs> okay, this this toenail is going wrong. We need yeah. to, we need to, we need to go back in immediately and say, A, get rid of this little turdy baby thing because it's messed up. And B, give me the permanent thing because it's clear my toe is not, you know, going to be putting out good toenails anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. I could do that, but that would mean voluntarily going back in to have another painful procedure during COVID time still. Right. Mm-hmm. And oh, I don't want to do that. Risks. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Right now, my toe feels fine. It's got a okay. weird little mini toenail thing going on, uh-huh. but I don't care. It doesn't hurt, and it's okay. fine. And my problem with my other one was that it was hurting me because the toenail had died, and it was just like stuck in uh, my foot, and it was all inflamed uh-huh. and puffy and just terrible, and like it was painful. That's why I, you know, I tried to nurse it back to health for months, but it was painful. So as long as this thing isn't painful, I don't really care how ugly it is. So my current plan is to try to keep this thing under control. Now, this could backfire in that we're having this conversation a year from now on the Toecast, which is what we're going to rename this podcast soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm saying, hey, remember last year when it was a baby Hitler toenail? Yep. Should have killed it And I was all like, yeah. And now it's now it's like a full-grown monster and it hurts again. And now... Who knows how it's affecting everybody else? There could be some virality to the toenail. It might be spreading around a lot of bad ideas, not just to other toes. But the other parts of your body, who knows? You might have gotten introduced, as you say, some bad DNA into nah, the situation. That's, that's and now you're going to have to hope you can convince the Americans to finally do something by 1941. I think when I first put this toe up that in here, I did have some concerns about my good big toenail on the other toe, on the other foot. Oh, yeah. I thought it was rebelling. Like exactly yeah, like you said, getting bad some bad ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, learning about things on the street, right? Absolutely. From you, and, Dad. Mm-hmm. In the schoolyard, right? And yeah. I'm like, what? Like, don't you dare! Don't you, you're the good toenail. Don't you dare start screwing up. And I think mostly what the problem was, I had just let that the the big toenail grow a little bit out of control because I had just been paying so much attention to the other one, and I've been trimming it down, and mm. I think it's fine. Oof. The other toenail is beautiful. I should send you some <laughs> shots of it. Okay. <clears throat> so, what's your hope for the future, John? What are you What are you looking forward to? What are you going to be watching? Do you have concerns? Is there anything our listeners can do to help? Do you want to cover dish? What, what, what can we do? My hope for the future, you, you saying that made me think of, and I know this is not a thing that you probably knew existed, but I'm going to tell mm-hmm. you about it now. It's going to make you sad because it makes all of us sad. It made me think of the lyrics to a Paul McCartney song mm-hmm. that was made for the, for the video game Destiny. Oh. That when they were making the video game Destiny, which they said was going to be like a 10-year project, uh, you know, spared no expense. They paid Paul McCartney. Destiny, Destiny's different from the one where you have flags in the desert. Right. That's the other game you like. They paid Paul McCartney 
Hey, Paul to McCartney make a song. to write. Oh, sorry, Destiny's the one where you wear an enchanted robe and you right. have uh, spaces in your vault. They yes. pay Paul McCartney to write a song for the for the, for the video game. And he said yes, and he wrote one. And it's a very bad. Is it song. extremely good? Oh, I bet it's extremely good. It's very bad, and not only is it very bad, it is so bad that it basically was never used in any capacity for the game. It, it exists in the game as a joke, in that you can go into a particular room. And there's like a little DJ thing, and you can make it play songs. And one of the songs you make it play is a song, and everybody hates it. That's how it functions in the in the society of the game at this point. Who knows how much money they paid him? And like, I mean, I don't. Does Paul McCartney do this? It, it, can you just go to Paul McCartney with a huge amount of money and say, make a song for so, sort of like, a, like a cameo, but for his career? Yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't. I don't I, I'm going to guess not. I'm going to imagine that he has a lot. He's probably he, he seems like a like a guy who probably has people, and I bet somebody approaches his people. Or, you know, you get the situations where somebody says, oh, I had to be in this movie be- or do this whatever because my kid loves this thing. Maybe maybe he has great grandchildren who like um, who like the robe game. But I'm guessing, it, I'm guessing it was probably a substantial amount of money. But this was before the game was out. So it's got to be oh. his people saying, look, this is going to be a big game. It's from the makers of Halo. Video right. games are big now. This is your now. chance to like stay current. Yeah. And, he, and he's like, hey, my kids love video games. Yes. And they, I've heard of Halo. They like the Halo. And this sure. game is going to be the next big thing. Anyway, mm-hmm. I sent you the song. It's called Hope for the Future. Hope for the Future. Huh. And, and, and what point in the game was it meant to have been uh, played? Is it, is it like a, this is a Aperture Science kind of like you win the cake song? Or is this like, when does it just come up randomly like a, like a Grand Theft Audio? Like I said, it, it was never in the game proper until it was in the game it? proper as a joke. How, how do you know about it? Lore? No, so it was in, so this, what you'll see here is a video from 2014. It was in the sort of, like trailers and promotional material for the game until very quickly they realized it's a terrible song and everyone hates it. Okay. So they didn't put it in the game proper until it was like DJable, but it wasn't some marketing materials in 2014. Okay. So should we listen to this together and then maybe have Jim drop a little bit in? I, you can listen to it. I, I, I heard it in game, uh, not two Come days on, ago. You got to do it with me. We'll do three, two, one, go. Oh, look at that. <sighs> a blue person. Oh, and there's him in front of uh, a moon. That's no moon. Yeah, they got they got him to do a video too. Hmm. Okay. Um. Should we just start at the beginning? Yeah. Go for it. Okay. Um. And and here is uh, Paul McCartney doing his uh, video game song, "Hope for the Future." not good um okay i paused 
Hope that's cool. For the future, that's cool that he's doing that. It's yeah. coming soon enough. They're gonna build a bridge to the sky. Mm-hmm. No, it's a terrible song. Good luck hiring an engineer that would build a bridge to the sky. You know, is that an analogy? Did you see how they had the bridge on screen when he said bridge? This is a quality video as well. Oh, Leo pointing at the screen. Mm. Yeah, this is cool. <clears throat> this looks like a fun game. I don't know why Gladys is in it. Was Gladys in the original Halo too? That's Gladys is the name of the everlasting gobstopper that wants your cake, right? Those are called ghosts. Ghosts, guys. like in Pac-Man. They do come in different shapes, uh, but that well, is the default. A lot of men do. Uh, shape, yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> okay, well, John, <clears throat> thank you for sharing your toe update with us. <laughs> Hope that'll become a regular copyrighted feature of Reconcilable Differences. It, it already is. It totally already is a regular. As long as my toe is a regular feature of my body, it will continue yes. to be a regular feature of this program. Hmm. Fred unaltered <laughs> any further, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> this episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Hawthorne. You can learn more about Hawthorne right now by visiting hawthorne.co. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. You know, it's that time of year when a lot of us are thinking about making some changes. Maybe you're thinking about making some changes, huh? Maybe you've considered um, perhaps improving your self-care routine. Hmm? It's not a euphemism. You need a routine for self-care, and it's time for a change. But, you know, it's tricky to know where to start, but lucky for you, that's where Hawthorne comes in. Hawthorne is a premium, tailored, personal care brand that's making it easy for guys to feel and smell their best. It all starts when you take their quiz. They ask you stuff like, what's your favorite drink? How do you like to spend a night out? Do you smoke? You know, uh, you know, uh, all the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, at first you're not really sure why are you asking me this, but then you get the results and they have all kinds of ideas for ways to make you feel and smell your best. It's crazy to go and look at the results. Uh, you know, uh, they ask you stuff like, you know, uh, do, do you go to work? Do you have a job? And I had to say, well, you know, kind of, but not really. Uh, but, but the results were really interesting and they sent me a box of this crazy great stuff, these personal care products. And I'm, I'm, I like them all, but I'm only really using some of them because they've kind of been heisted by my family. I still am allowed to use the scent that they sent me. It's a wonderful aftershave smell. That's just the way I would like to smell. Uh, I love stuff like their shampoo, their body wash. And like I say, a lot of it has been heisted by my family. I'm glad they're enjoying it and, and that they're finding a good routine for self-care, but still, you know, not cool. Just because I don't really have a job doesn't mean you can steal my Hawthorne. They can just have that. Uh, you know, the, the quiz is uh, is quick and easy. Uh, you get results, and, uh, and and then they send you stuff. They send you a bunch of stuff that just smells real good. It, it feels good. It, it's, it's really cool stuff. You know, so if you want to upgrade your self-care routine, Hawthorne has a fun and convenient way to get super high-quality products tailored specifically for your needs. And you know, they take the risk out of it by giving you free shipping on your order and your returns. If you don't like your products for some reason, they'll retailer them based on your feedback. How cool is that? Very personal. So, you know, uh, why don't you give it a spin? You, you go uh, take Hawthorne's quiz today. You get started on your personalized self-care routine. You go to hawthorne.co, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co, and use the promo code DIFFS, that's the A-F-F-S, to get 10% off your first purchase. Pretty good deal. Hawthorne.co, promo code DIFFS. Go there now. Check it out. Hawthorne.co, promo code DIFFS. Our thanks to Hawthorne for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Uh, 
this is going to be one of uh, the weeks when we do one of our challenges. Uh, I think we should talk about my technology stack. I don't want to talk about that on the main show. We could talk about, uh, uh, you can become a member at relay.fm slash RD. Uh, you don't get anything apart from content. That's what a podcast should give you. You get more podcasts and no ads. That's true. That's true. It loads faster. You get different art. It has a terrible name. It's very confusing. Um, and thank you for thank you for your support. We appreciate it. I think what what I want to hear about now, and you can tell me because this is more of your thing than mine, but I want to hear about it. Uh, this topic was put in there a little while ago. Yeah. Uh, Merlin steak videos. Yes, absolutely. How about we do steak videos and then you finally at long last uh, tell us about your girl regret. Sure. You have time for that? That'll be that'll be the extra, number extra. Oh, so we're not going to talk about my technology stack. That's fine. Um, so uh, what do you, where do we, do you want to start or, because you're the one who put this in here because I, the feeling I got was that you feel like I've infected your recos with my steak videos. And like you were, you were frustrated because you were getting, you were getting steak recos and you think that's because I'd sent you the, uh, the steak videos, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't blame you. Mm-hmm. I, in some ways I thank you because I enjoy these kind of videos as well, but it, it's just, it, you've been watching these for a while and talking about them for a while. And I watch them occasionally. And every once in a while I trip down the rabbit hole thanks to like you tweeting about it or linking to it or whatever. And eventually, mm-hmm. you know, the. He, he just posted his top four stakes of 2020. I know. I'm looking at it right now. The, the, the maelstrom. <laughs> the maelstrom circles. And yeah. I end up watching a lot of them. So what we're talking about here is uh, I, these are, I you describe them as this, and I had to look up what it meant. Teppanyaki videos. Apparently, it's it's like uh, uh, tepan is something like an iron plate and yaki I mean, is like the, the, the grilling I'll, I'll give the very quick version of this and then you, i'll throw to you um so so like there's a I, I hadn't realized i guess there's so many genres on youtube that one is not aware of until one discovers it and one of those is like there is a sort of i don't know i feel like <clears throat> there is kind of a genre of videos especially about stuff like what, what you might call street food but of like you know uh going to a restaurant and in this case uh teppanyaki he goes to like usually a uh a place in Japan. He also, his main thing that brought him to YouTube, I think, is street food, which are also really good. Like watching people in Asia, like in various Asias, like in Korea, um, in, in Japan, wherever. Some of the Korean street food stuff is wild. But watching people on the street do these amazing street foods, like just really cool, like, you know, rice and various kinds of things. Um, anyhow, so teppanyaki, uh, the short version is, uh, think Benihana. So like, have you ever been to Benihana where they do the tricks and the Jake the japes and the jibes, and they're throwing the, the eggshells and shooting shrimp at your face and all that kind of stuff. That's a, I mean, that's fun. It's fun to go to Benihana. A little, you know, kind of a, a showy theatrical version of this. But teppanyaki is like a legitimate kind of dining people do, especially in Japan. I think especially at lunch. And then you can get very high-end versions. But the you go out to you go out to, to lunch and you sit at this counter like a bar, and there's a big cooking surface, hot cooking surface in front of you, and then somebody prepares the food that you ordered in front of you. That's the short version of teppanyaki. And um, that's mostly what you need to know. And I, I discovered these videos and found them weirdly engrossing. And they're just the videos that I watch are just mostly videos, especially from this one guy, of going out to usually lunch, sometimes dinner, gets a beer, and then he watches the person make his steak, and then he he prods it with the chopsticks, and then appears to maybe take a bite, but that's not on camera. That's teppanyaki videos. A- a- Aiden Films, I believe, is the guy yes. that. Wait. Um, 
link in the show notes. Um, I had to go to the Wikipedia page again because I hadn't memorized it enough. Uh, teppanyaki is derived from tepan, which is the metal plate on which things are cooked, and yaki, which means grilled, broiled, or pan-fried. Uh, That's right. So, Like yeah. yakitori. And mm-hmm. Benihana is a... Is it? Do they still exist? Is it, oh, yeah. Is, is was a U.S. chain of restaurants where they do this, where you come in and you sit around a it's big like tourist flat event piece of metal. dining. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. You sit you sit around a big flat piece of metal that gets hot, and then a chef comes out who uh, either already has your orders or takes them then, and then that chef cooks everything. It's, a per, it's like that. a performance. It's like yeah. Farrell's ice cream for grownups. Yeah. They, it, everything that you're going to be fed is cooked in front of you on that big hot metal thing, and there is... You know, they serve it to you on a plate on the spot. Yeah, they try to do fancy things. So they try to mm-hmm. try to be entertaining or whatever. Um, and the food is usually uh, Asian inflected. I don't know. Is Benihana supposed to be Japanese? I've never been yeah. to Benihana, mm-hmm. so I don't know. I mean, it's a, um, pretty straightforward. It's like all all the sorts of proteins you would imagine being grilled. It's basically you order what protein you want. There's usually rice with it. There's some kind of vegetables involved. And obviously, it's a little bit different in Japan, where rice is served. I guess a little bit later, the fried rice is served after the like the protein stuff. I I don't know enough to say, but I'm not here to slag Benihana. That would be an easy thing to do. But I think Benihana is is silly American fun, and I would not criticize it. Now, the the moves they do in Benihana, it, they they're focused, I think, more on the performance aspects of this. This guy in particular, this will not seem significant, but he focuses on like very high end. Not that this matters, but he focuses on more high-end sorts of especially beef and seafood. And, you know, but the, the techniques are fairly similar. Some places are a little showier than others. But, like, I, I freely admit that pitching you on watching hours of videos of a Japanese man cooking a steak does not sound that interesting. Um, but I guess that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah, so t- to be clear, the, the the channel is called Aiden Films, and the guy you're talking about is the one who makes these videos. He's not the person cooking the food. He's sitting in a seat watching somebody else cook a food at whatever restaurant. He, he's, he's the one drinking up. the beer and prodding in this really creepy way, prodding the food with the tip of his chopstick. Yeah. Do you ever, when you're watching one of these, like zoom back in your mind and think, what's going actually going on here? Is this poor I mean, chef holding is making a camera a thing, for an hour? And then someone's I think about it constantly. His, yeah, I think about it constantly. Yes, all you can think about. I know. Um, Did you read his about page, by the way? No, I haven't. I haven't dug to. I, I'm, I'm not interested in the person. I'm interested in what's going on on the screen. And okay, it, it is, it is a YouTube video. So obviously, it's all like four hundred dollars steak cooked before you. Like it's, you know, that's why well, they go to the expensive that's places. That's the, that's the, that's the. You know, as we were talking about headlines. Yeah, but the. Well, anyway, I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you. But like, yeah, I, I would like the chance to say about what I find interesting and not interesting about this. Like, why I like this. I agree with you. That's the typical clickbait. The same clickbait you'd find on YouTube, Pornhub, Twitter, wherever. Names yeah. I know better than my own grandmother's name. The but, rare, but, the um, rarest steak in the world, the most expensive steak in the world. I the try olive wagyu is my steak. favorite. I've watched that one many, many times. Yeah. But yeah, so he goes out and he sits down and they and they serve him. Yeah. And it's it's re it's like extreme close up on the food, right? In, in case you're wondering, is it like it's all about watching that piece of meat? Absolute sizzle. minimum of unnecessary talking, also, yeah. which I love. Yeah, which is nice. So it's kind of it's kind of meditative. Now here, now did you ever go to these types of restaurants when you were a kid or an adult, for that matter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Last time I went to one, <laughs> I actually have some funny flip camera video of this. Um, Mike Montero's <laughs> mom was in town, and. Uh, um, I mean, uh, <laughs> she's so hilarious. She's so fun. You know, older Portuguese lady from, uh, from Philadelphia who like doesn't speak a lot of English and a big bunch of us went out to Benihana together and it was really, really fun. 
But yeah, when as a kid, I said it's like Ferrell's. I don't know if anybody remembers Ferrell's, but Ferrell's was like the event ice cream place when you're a kid. <clears throat> they bring you out the pig trough or, you know, the fire truck or whatever. Um, this is, it's kind of like that to go to Benihana. It's very ruckus. Oh, what's a figure? Well, what's in, uh, oh, The Office. Isn't there an episode of The Office at Benihana? I'm sure there is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I've been to places like this. I like, I like, uh, I like event dining. How many years ago was that, uh, Montero trip? 2005, six, seven, something like that. Do you have places like this near you that would, in non-COVID times, be on the menu, so to speak, of places you could potentially go out to eat? Or is it just not something that would ever occur to you to go there unless it was like a weird special thing? I mean, I I would. It's, it is, I mean, I do think, in America anyway, I do think of it as sort of like event dining. It's like the kind of thing where you would do with a group much more than you would choose to go on your own, usually. But no, but I, I mean, if I got food like these people are making, I'd go all the time. Um, but also, yeah, so we have one in uh, Japantown and, um, and that's the one we went to. I, they might be, our neighborhood does not have a huge amount of Japanese food and the Japanese food that we do have, I've been informed by my friend, Scott Simpson, everybody who works there is Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so, we have it. I mean, there's sushi and we get sushi and it's good sushi, but it is uniformly made by Chinese and Mexican people. So we had, when I was growing up, um, First of all, we didn't have Benihana, uh, and that it, kind of like we didn't have Walmart or Kmart. Lots of things that were around in the rest of the country were not on, on Long Island where we were. But then at some point, maybe when I was 10 or 11, we got a store in my local, a restaurant in my local town called, and this is another memory hall thing. It's kind of like Friendly's versus Friendly, uh, the restaurant, which uh, Friendly, the restaurant used to be called Friendly, but everyone called it Friendly's. And eventually they just added the apostrophe S to the actual name. <laughs> they had to. It becomes one of those Berenstain Bears yep. kind of things. Yeah. They, they had to give in. So the name of this restaurant was either Gosho of Japan or Gosho's of Japan. And I have no okay. idea which one it was. I doubt I doubt that we were able and, to. And where where did they fall, if you can remember, where did they fall on the spectrum of like fine dining to entertainment? Uh, like I said, I've never, I still have never been to a Benihana, but they were exactly what you described. This is, it, I mean, you look at these videos, it's that exact thing. Like I'm so sure is, they just. This is on Long Island. Yes. And mm-hmm. it was, it was built, it was built to look like a kind of like a big Japanese, like, you know, oh, I know what you mean. Like one of those Japanese yeah, things, with the yeah, tall yeah. pointy roof and the wood beams and everything. And inside <laughs> it, just like there is in every single one of these <laughs> restaurants. some ching chong bing bong music in the lobby. Yeah, no, totally. Um, but it was it was very Japanese themed. They, they gave you green tea, and whoever makes these big these teppanyaki tables, like they're just, it's that's just like a standard part. And I'm sure they're in Benihana, and they're in a local place that we have near us that has them. But that's what it was. And they came and they did all the thing. Like you watch these videos and you see them do all the things. I'm like, I saw that thing in Gasho of Japan when so I was th- ten. Th- just to be clear, things like so. There's a style of cooking that's involved here that usually involves somebody using. Uh, two, depending on who the chef is, what the region is, they're using two spatulas is, a, is the popular way. And then they'll frequently use a, a knife and stuff like that. Occasionally use chopsticks, but almost everything is done on the same hot surface. And you can tell different areas of the surface have different intensities of heat. The area in the middle that's super brown is usually where the superheat is. But, but then, and you see, you do see these similarities across almost all of these. Like it's always, there's so many similarities to the way they scoop up the oil or the way they always do the salt at this point and then the pepper at this point, all these kinds of things. Do you use that copper thing to get some steam in there? All these different things. But the, the theatrical part comes out of, you know, if you're there for the Benihana style stuff, there's lots of, what I remember as a kid going to these places was the guy going like, like with the pepper shakers, like mm-hmm. making a, like a rhythmic drum thing. And then there's almost always some element of throwing 
for the Benihana style places. You throw something and you catch it behind your back. Um, yep. And you do like knife spinning and stuff like that. And then the Benihana thing, as I say, there's a lot of like the guy like makes a, a trebuchet out of his spatula and catches the shrimp in his toque. Or, or like he shoots, like I say, he shoots it at your face and you get burned with grease or whatever. But like, there's a lot of that theatricality and there's a lot of like rhythmic repetition things. But everything in these videos, and this is probably really telling, is very purposeful. Like every, like in these like pro, like, you know, Japanese videos, everything is very purposeful and sort of elaborate, right? But yeah, yeah but the, I think that's what people remember is the like the, the shucking and jiving and joking. They usually at like all these things at event dining, you find one person you're going to pick on, you know, and that kind of stuff. And there's all the bits and like, you know, even distributions of food and all he gets one more grain of rice or whatever. And that's like part of the bit. Sh sh yeah. Shokus, what's it called? Gashos. Or Gashos. Gasho. G-A-S-H-O, possibly apostrophe S. Of Got Japan, it. Not, not a gosh upon. It's, okay. Japan in there. It, it's kind of amazing that like, just like these tables are standardized you know, the things that they cook on that routine, whoever came up with like the original ingredients of that routine is lasted like half of our entire lives, 20, 30 years, right? That mm -hmm. they're the same bits, like the, everything you just described, I'm like, yep, seen it, seen it, seen it. Like it's all the same well, it's stuff. It's like the Jungle Cruise at a Disney property, like each Jungle Cruise conductor, including our friend David Sparks did that. They, they have their own bit that they settle into, but like the bit, the, the real bit of the Jungle Cruise is it's a really lame ride. We can sit down. It's very fun. And if you get like a good guide, you know what I'm saying? But mm -hmm. it's like variations on a theme in a lot of ways. They're all going to pull out the fake pistol and shoot the fake hippo at some point, but, or near the fake hippo. But like, you know, there's certain points, fixed points in time you got to hit, but it's the theatricality that each chef or jungle cruise director, <laughs> not Julie, your jungle cruise director brings to it. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. And, and like, unlike the jungle cruise, they they do have a job to do as well. Like it's not just entertainment. Like the jungle cruise person isn't also driving the boat, right? The boat <laughs> right, just goes, right, right. right? And so they, they actually have to make your food. Now I was, I've always been impressed by when I get a good one of these people, like a gosho, um, occasionally you get a really good one. Some of the things they do, you mentioned knife spinning and stuff like that. There are degrees of difficulty. Sometimes you can see like this guy like missed, the, the week when they did knife spinning and he's just going to do like I, right. I, I he does the like the compulsories like I've done enough knife spinning to get the get the minimum points required but it's clear that I have no flair for it right or the throwing people like it's like you said taking the spatula and throwing a shrimp onto someone's plate throwing it onto mm -hmm. the top of your own hat if you <laughs> if you're game and someone has had a few drinks throwing it into their mouth that's the hot grease splattering <laughs> thing right one mm -hmm. one of the other major components it was interesting when I when I was a kid that I think has fallen out of favor for reasons that are obvious I think is making a big fire in the middle of the table. Do you remember that one? Oh, you still see that you'll see an onion tower sometimes. What they do now instead is they take slices of onion to make a little volcano. They take a one big yeah. slice of onion, then a smaller, smaller, smaller to make a little cone. Then they put a little oil in there. They light on fire, and you get this pathetic little puffy. Oh look! I oh, made you're, a little you're talking about an actual on yeah. on, on tepon. Gosh, oh. uh, yeah would do configuration yeah. giant large uh, flammable thing the the diameter of a basketball lit kind on of thing fire that makes you go, Ooh. so that the flames go all the way up to the hood and you feel the heat on your face no matter where you are sitting <laughs> i think i agree with you about why they maybe don't do that as much right anymore. now here, so <laughs> it gosh oh, so you mentioned this being event dining the thing my family had when i was growing up is that when it's your birthday you, we go out to eat and you and the kid who's the birthday gets to pick the restaurant oh right? that's so cool Unfortunately, my birthday is New Year's Eve. Mm. 
And if you mm. ever try to go to a restaurant on New Year's Eve, yeah. not a good time to try to go to a restaurant. Especially with yep. like the hectic yep. family and poor planning would be like, oh, it's your birthday. We're like, oh, I'm not going to a restaurant on New Year's Eve. So we'd always end yeah. up going at, at like, you know, a few days before or maybe sometimes a few days after, depending on how the schedule lined up. But for a long run there, I picked Gasho every single time. Oh, really? Because it was <gasps> event so dining. Cool. And it, yeah, we'd go there, I would go there literally it's a once show, a year. Man. Yeah. yeah, I would go there once a year on my birthday and we'd go there and my, my brother, who's uh, six years younger than me, we'd bring him along as well. And he had been there so many times on so many of my birthdays, but he was terrified of the flame. Right. Oh, sure. So every time mm-hmm. they got to that point in the routine when they were going to do the flame, he would drop his napkin on the floor <laughs> oh. and pretend to go pick it up. And he would stay down there until he heard the big flame and then he'd oh, come back up when it was safe. It's adorable. He's got a Ph.D. now. Um, (laughs) i'll always remember his fear of the flame but yeah they stopped doing that because presumably they're burning some people's eyebrows off or some lady's hair caught on fire or something you know what i mean sure like but it was it was really big and it was you know very exciting and then you know the the throwing of things the the egg where you catch it on the side of the spatula to crack the egg you know that one oh absolutely and listen listen just to be clear here so the the aiden films guy you're not going to see that many uh, onion, uh, what'd you call Volcanoes. it? Onion volcano. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I have seen because of Recos, I have seen a fair number of those. And some of these guys are just incredibly confident and talented. The kind of confidence that comes out of like, I've done Having this done egg thing so times. many times. Yeah. Yeah. I can even do it wrong and make it look good. If that's part of the bit, like that level of control, like the Pete Sampras of, of, uh, spatula eggs. But, but, um, but but that again, you don't get that as much with this guy. I'm not I'm not immune to those. I will occasionally dip into one of those and just be like, "Wow, yeah. that's." Well, what I we would, were just describing really is how fun. it manifests in America, um, because it is event dining, entertainment, so on and so forth. And by the way, one of the other fun aspects of this is like the the chefs that did this, at least in Gashos, but in most of the places that I've been, spoke very very little English, just enough that's to part make of the bit. That's just enough part to of make the, the Jungle Cruise jokes. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And enough to find a willing victim to chuck a shrimp into their face. Right. Like <laughs> happy birthday. But but they knew very little English. <laughs> happy birthday, sir. Kisa John. <laughs> yeah. And and the other thing is, like, you know, they have to do this routine over and over and over again. And they very yeah. often didn't look happy about it, but they were so hmm. skilled at it. And it's like, are they serious? Because they're like concentrating. Or is this like, there. Are yeah. they in a sweatshop? Like, is this... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway. With the Aiden films one, when you see people doing it in Japan, like you said, it's not as theatrical, but I think it's a different kind of theatricality because they're not trying to be... It's not showy. Yeah. I mean, it's not... I'm sorry. It's not exaggerated. They're not doing... Like, there are some where you will see, and actually some of the super high, high high-end ones where obviously they've got the baller. They've got the, like, Culinary Institute pro... But but no, but by and large, I do think these are, and I could be wrong, this could just, again, this is another Monty Python situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know enough about what I don't know about Japan apart from the stereotypes that have been provided to me. But my sense is, he often says in the title, such and such dollar, Wagyu steak, lunch, at blah, blah, blah. And my feeling is that in a COVID time, this would be a place you would take somebody for like a fancy business lunch. And you probably would not hold a camera up for an hour while you were there. <laughs> no, and especially with the prices they're giving, Right. They're real costly. I mean, a lot of these are like over over hundred, over two hundred dollars for lunch. Right, and and when you see, so when you see the chef doing it, you're mostly just seeing their utensils in their hands, maybe, and it's yeah. so clear that they are treating this three hundred dollar steak 
like it's three hundred dollars worth of steak, and are That's incredibly it. skilled in how they cut it up. Every single thing the that they do is deliberate, and and there are times, and I know this is why I think you might like this. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe in some universe, is like you go like, oh, that portion's not right, or oh, that was a little bit uneven. Or, oh, there's still that one little sliver of fat that, oh, you got it. You got the piece. Oh, mm-hmm. oh wow. Mm-hmm. Like, you're way ahead of me. Like, you you are paying attention to every single bit of this. And like, okay, so here's one thing. As a, as a waiter and busboy, like, one of the things I had to be taught because I didn't know is there's stuff that you would do at your house that you must never do when you're working in a restaurant. The classic, of course, being something along the lines, I obviously don't blow your nose or whatever, but like, don't put your thumb in somebody's water glass. You know, like uh, that, that, but like, but another one that when I see this happen, this still sets my teeth on edge is when somebody clears, when they clear at the table and it's really, you know, first of all, I hate when it's really clattering and like, but you never put somebody's food receptacle on or into anybody else's food receptacle in front of a customer. Mm -hmm. So when people come up to, it sounds dumb, but like once you start noticing this, it drives you bananas. It's one of those, like you see one roach, you wonder if there's a hundred, but they come and they grab your plate and they stick it on somebody else and they're carrying like six plates in a pile. You know, it's like a hotel room. I should feel like I'm the first person that has ever been in this room and probably the only person that ever will be in this room. That's the fantasy of the hotel room. And the fantasy of the restaurant is that like, you're taking care of me. Right. And you're, and with these guys, the way they cook, there's just, I, I don't know if you get this, but like the thing of like, just the way that, for example, if there's something that like they're flipping, they'll do the flip with like uh, with rice, let's say with the two spatulas. And maybe there's some rogue rice that went over here. And there's always a judgment call on whether to scoop that rice back into the pile or shoot it aside. And every time they shoot it aside, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And they put it in the little like garbage trap over on the side. Mm-hmm. The entire performance of making your meal is this this whole exercise in decision making and care? It's competence porn in a lot of ways. But like, I do you get what I'm saying though? Like, just like, oh, you cared about that little thing, and then at the end when you cut it, is he cut it into six cubes or is he going to cut it into eight cubes? And you're like, wait a minute, he cut it into six cubes, but he's saving the fatty end. He moved it over here. He's cooking that separately mm-hmm. and serving it at the end because that's a whole thing he does. Yeah, the competence porn is definitely similar. And what is what is knoling? I never know what that is. That the thing knoling is the thing where you put stuff. stuff yeah, in like like imagine a photo shot from above of like all of Adam Savage's robot tools. Like you put all your stuff on sort of a in a, in a kind of an implicit grid. Yeah, there's a little bit of that because they're taking everything is regular. Like, so yeah. like, again, we are all victims of the stereotypes we are you know <laughs> that we we experience about Japan. But part of that is the they're in Japanese culture of things being. Things being neat and tidy is a sign of them being high quality, which is why, you know, all their little candies are individually wrapped and everything is, you know, precise and cute and, you know, all that. And so it, that's reflected in the cooking. Like like you said, with the hotel room and the just general being waitstaff, that is a form of theater. They're, you're being, you're being but convinced. The way they cook, it, to quote Dr. Katz, you're not cooking, you know, you're cooking a rice. It's not like individual grains. You're cooking all right. So like the way that they cook a steak is finally evidenced by what it lands up on your plate. But every subsequent te- uh, step before that is very carefully thought out. And you, you can just feel that like they really, they really know how to do this. Yeah. And so one, so I, I would go to this place every year for my birthday. One of the reasons we didn't go back more frequently, one, it was kind of expensive and you had to wait a long time or whatever. And it's, you know, kind of sure. annoying. But, but the second thing is that the menu is fairly limited. It's the same menu that you see cooked on all these channels, you know, the Americanized version of it. But it's like you yeah, said, it's some combination it's rice, of like steak, shrimp, chicken, chicken 
Yep. Rice mm-hmm. and very and there are some variations and you can do a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, but in the end, it's like it's you know, like the joke about Taco Bell, you got like six ingredients and you just keep remixing them in different combinations. <laughs> um and they're all good combinations. But if you decide, you know what, I'd rather have, you know, spaghetti meatballs. Well, you're not getting that there. It's not the Cheesecake Factory, right? This, this right. is the one thing right. that they make. Yeah. And, you know, having it night after night or repeatedly, like, it, it could, you can imagine it getting old. But the thing is, since I saw it made so many times and I liked it, I part of watching these films and watching any kind of cooking thing is you're like, I remember going to whatever that place was. And I like that. I should try making that at home. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you mm-hmm. run into the problem that you don't have one of those giant tables at home. And True. you are not yeah. a trained chef who knows how to do I've all this I've learned stuff. a ton from watching these videos in how I cook, especially steak. But I, t- I absolutely agree with you. It's one of those things where, like, you mentioned Mexican food. Like, we make burritos at home <laughs> fairly <laughs> regularly. But a burrito is, to me, arguably a, an authentic, like, mission burrito. To me, is one of those things where it's like, believe me, the $7 you spend on this is going to be so worth it. Otherwise, yeah. you're you're going to spend half a day just on like preparing ingredients for that, and they give it to you in like two and a half minutes. I mean, and take for example, like pizza is the perfect example. I am well oh, versed. Sure. I am well versed in pizza. I do make pizza at home all the time, and we never go out for pizza here because I can't stand pizza in this area. But I I make it at home all the time, and I'm okay good at it. But I'm not <laughs> coming close to like good pizza made at a pizza place because I don't have a pizza oven. That's that's me and rib roast. My my rib roast at this point, my process for rib roast is airtight, but it's still not. I mean, the, the sous vide plus the, the way that I do it, it's amazing. It's like everybody. I finally figured out to make it a way that everybody likes it. How, what amount to make? How done? What seasoning? Like I've nailed all of those things. But to be dead honest, it's still not either as delicious or fun. As going to like House of Primer. Well, you know, everything tastes better when someone else makes it for you. I mean, that that's that's true. That's like the uh, unless the, they can't cook. The, 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 you know what I mean at a restaurant, like the yeah. anti- no, anti- I know, the, I know uh, what you mean. But I mean, but like like rib roast is one where like the consistency, like the firmness of like a, a rare slice, uh, like an end cut or not an end cut, but that wouldn't be rare probably. But you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Just, there's certain kinds of foods that where it's like I would just assume somebody else make this for me. Yeah, you know, now craft mac and cheese or whatever. Like, I'm fine to make that at home. Gourmet mac and cheese can be great. You get it with some truffles; it's awesome. But there are this is we're back to our discussion from a long time ago of ceilings and floors. But the, you're right. If you don't have the tepon in your house, and if you do, you're probably not friends yeah. with me. But like you, you could. I imagine that's a pretty. I'm guessing that's probably like a. I bet parts are approaching what 800 degrees probably i see that's the thing i don't know like you see it done you can see it done it's like seeing a magic trick you see it done over and over right in front of them want, want to see it again i'll do it again want me to see it again like like take yeah, the rice you still for won't example. get it the rice that they do it's like oh well they just got a big hot metal thing and they got some oil and yep. they've got rice and they've got eggs and you know maybe some peas onions and, and some corn yeah. and some onions mm-hmm. and another bottle with some like what looks like soy sauce and that's it like and maybe some sesame seeds at the end or something, right? And that's all they've got. It's pretty basic. It seems like it seems like something you could just nail on the first right. Try. And and you see them do it. They're doing it right in front of you. It's just a right. flat hot metal thing, and they have spatulas and those ingredients. How and you come see when it? I do this, it turns into porridge? <laughs> yeah, and then you do it at home, and you're like, "This tastes nothing like that." And and so you ask questions: Is it because that metal thing? No, it is, tastes is like a... white rice that somebody put soy sauce on. When is I it? Make and it. now here's the thing: I make fried rice at home. I have for years and years. I like my fri- like my pizza. I like my pizza. I like my fried rice. Does it taste like good 
fried rice made of one of these things? Oh, no. With 100% across the board, I uh, every single aspect of that, I, I do the same thing and agree. My, my, my fried rice, my wife's fried rice, we, it's good. It's really good. But it's still not as good as the like $3 in a paper crate <laughs> fried rice you get from anywhere in San Francisco. The lousiest fried rice I get, well, not always, but like, but like it's... That's something other people are better at than I am. Uh, yeah, and I'm not shooting for like you know cruddy Chinese food uh, fried rice, which I do love as well. But like this specific kind of rice that you see made in these videos, I can taste it when I'm watching it, and I like my rice just as much as that. But it's different, and the thing is, I can never get that. And so I, I asked yeah. the question: Is it because they have higher heat? Is it because of the technique? Is it because what's in that bottle is not what I think is in the bottle? Like, what are they? Are they getting char on it? Is it the way they cook the rice? Because we don't see that part. They come out with the white rice already cooked. I don't know. I, I bet the temperature has something to do with it. Yeah, yeah. So that's so that's part of the fascination of watching these videos as well is watching the magic trick done over and over again, right? To try to see if you'll glean anything from it and. The, the final thing that I get at enjoyment out of these videos is, like you said, with the, the, the stray grain of rice or how are they going to cut it? Or what are they going to do with that part is eventually you watch 8,000 of these things and you start becoming a, uh, a testy connoisseur. You're like, mm, this guy, this guy is cooking that garlic way too long. I know. Even for this, the top four steaks of 2020, there's a couple where I was like, mm, I would have done that different. Yeah. Or like, I, I think I messaged you about this. I saw this guy and he had the sliced garlic. And he he didn't pay enough attention to it, and they there's overcooked. That one. No, in the one in the olive wagyu, there's the, my only beef with that video, so to speak, is there is that the the so what what they do is sometimes in a few of these, oh, actually the garlic bits are some of the coolest parts because that's where they've done it's done well. Me, well, okay, but like it's not Paul Sorvino thin, but pretty darn thin garlic slices that they are. This is the perfect example, John. They're not they're not cooking a pile of garlic. They are individually cooking like the side. Yeah. Well, but they're, no, no, they're individually cooking. Like so, so you and I would think like, okay, chop up a bunch of garlic or use frozen. It's the same. You throw that on the thing, and it's <laughs> going to be fine. In this case, each one of these is treated as a two-sided object that will have its own specific level of doneness. If this doesn't appeal to you, I understand. But for me to watch a guy sit there and make three separate piles of the garlic that's not done, the garlic that is done, and the garlic that didn't make the mark is amazing to watch. And they just serve that as a little side. It's like a teaspoon of food that they spend like eight minutes making. So the reason that resonates with me is, um, I don't know if this is a thing that people decide on in their life, but I decided on this many, many years ago. I am a sliced garlic person. I cook a lot of things with garlic. There's lots of different ways you can cut garlic, but in, in any recipe that wants roughly chopped, not, you know, minced, not smashed, not whatever, but like roughly chopped garlic, I do slices across the, you know, like, like you would slices of a tree where you see the rings, right? Um, which is usually what they do here. And I have yeah, always I mean, like cooked. most people at probably an intermediate level would like get the little, the squisher thing where you put it in the metal no, thing and squeeze a, it like that's that. It's a whole or... different thing. It's a whole different thing. It has to, the recipe may ask for that, in which right. case you do that. But if the recipe does not ask for that or does not benefit from that, uh, you know, and it asks for something to be chopped, I am a slicer. Yeah, uh, and okay. I do slices roughly the thickness you see in most of these videos. And I have always individually hooked the pieces exactly like you see here. Like, well, so probably like a 16th of an inch. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can vary, but like mm -hmm. that, that technique of cooking them and being aware of what side they're on and flipping them individually and doing all that stuff. Mm -hmm. That's just a way of life. And my gachos never used any garlic. So the first time I ever saw this garlic being cooked, I guess, as part of this is when I started watching these videos. 
Oh, wow. Based on your recommendation. Oh, interesting. And okay. I saw that and I'm like, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if garlic is it was imported from Italy or how it got to where it got it, but I had never seen it used in this context. And I'm like, hey, they're doing the sliced garlic thing. I've been doing that my whole life. And I felt a kinship and then anger when they screw it up. Right? Or one person used like dried garlic instead of fresh. I'm like, nah, get that crap out of here. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, it's yeah, be that's it's that, that that's a, a lot of the appeal of this. Well, I'm so glad that that was interesting to you. Um, I think that's so much of the appeal. It's not simply competence porn. It is, and like you say, you watch enough of these and you start to appreciate like more more of like like why this person is good at what they do. And it's it's and I actually really have learned a fair amount from this um, that I can apply like with a cast iron pan and stuff like that. Um, one thing I realized is as much salt as I put in my food, as much salt as you put in your pasta water, I, I've started using more salt and it's made things a little bit better. It's putting on the salt at the right time is really important. You do not want to salt ever, mostly probably kind of, it depends, but you usually do not want to salt a big piece of uh, red meat and then have it sit around before you put it on. It depends. No, no, you know, no, Ken- no, Kenji Lopez Alt has thoughts. There's on lots it. of scholarship in this. Let, let me tell you my uh, my current thinking based on the. I, all, that was just it was just to say that I, I do feel like I've learned things that's improved how I do. So, so the science the science cooking sites do all these tests of like, hey, does it matter when you put the salt on? Let's try putting the salt on here. Put the salt on now. I'm I'm a big big proponent for red meats of putting the salt on a day ahead of time, letting it sit in the fridge. Depending on what you want, if you want to dry it out and get a good sear, that could work. No, but I want, I want the, I want, uh, what do they call it? I don't know if they, they call it osmosis or what it is, but I, what I want is the salt to go into the water and the water to be, if, if you want to get the middle of a piece of meat salty, yeah. you have to put the salt on it and let it sit there for a very long time for hmm. the, for the concentration to even do, out. Do you, do you rinse it off before you cook it? No, cause it'll be gone. It will be mm. in, because it, the salt will dissolve in the liquid and the liquid oh, will disperse throughout the okay. meat and you will get it uniformly salty across the whole mm. meat, but that takes hours, mm. right? If you don't have time for that, don't think that by putting the salt on the outside of it, it's going to get to the inside by the time you cook it, because it won't, because you're going to cook it immediately, in which case you're just going to be able to taste the salt on the outside. But the bigger the piece of meat, the more important it is that the salt get into it, and that takes a long time, because it's like the salt has to dissolve into the water, and the water has to hmm. do what water does. You, if you put salt water. In, do you mean the water that's in the meat in, implicitly, in the meat, or do yeah, you mean yeah. a brine? No, no, I mean, I mean in the meat. Like, okay. the meat okay. itself is, has a larger percentage of water, like any living thing, right? And if you take any, if you take salt and put it in any piece, like imagine a pot of water and you put salt in the corner. Well, it doesn't stay in the corner. Leave it there for five hours. Eventually, the water is uniformly salty. Mm-hmm. That happens with meat too. If you imagine a meat as oh. just a big bucket of water with some hmm. solid stuff in there, you put salt on the outside. Salt dissolves into the water. It doesn't stay on the outside. Eventually, it becomes uniformly salty as that salt distributes throughout. That's the theory anyway. And I yeah. found that to be the case, but it takes a really long time. If you don't have time for that, then salt it super heavily on the outside and hope that each bite has enough salt on the outside because you're just going to cook it immediately to make up for the fact that the inside doesn't have any salt. Okay, got it. That's my current thinking, and it's mostly served me well. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. And, and, and like what time whatever, you have. Whatever it is that you have heard, whatever it is, not you, but one, whatever one has heard, whatever one enjoys, whatever one prefers, like you're going to find... The exact opposite of that. The second you say that, the exact opposite of that. People like are going to come and they're going to yell. And then so apparently, impossibly, a third exact opposite of either of those things. You're going to get all these turns outs on turns outs. You know, do what makes you happy. But but I I do feel like this this feels like um, it feels very mature as an art. Like what these folks are doing. And uh, I don't know, man. I just it's you could call it competence porn. I like watching people who are good at what they do 
and I and again, it always has to be a COVID angle. I think in the absence of going out to eat and traveling and stuff like that, it's really fun to get to watch like this little viewport into another world of of a meal that I would personally, pretty much every one of these, I would love to have that meal. Like, I don't know if I'd watch this if it was just about like beets. Although I have, I have never had one of these extremely fat marbled Wagyu beef style things ever in my life. And I have a feeling that that's too much fat for me. The stuff you get in America is mm, as usual a jam up and a little bit overrated. Um, now that, so like, I, I know you're the guy who's supposed to make sure you buy an iPhone case that didn't used to be alive, John, but if you can, if you can handle it, people, some of the most interesting stuff involves seafood. It's not going to be for everybody's sensibility, but I'll just say maybe skip the lobster ones, but watching what these guys do with shrimp is crazy. Like if you think the stuff with a beef steak, a solid piece of cow is amazing. Watch what people do with like four different kinds of seafood. Mm -hmm. So they'll have like you know what I mean? There, there could be oysters. There could be all these different things that need, need to be prepared in totally different ways for totally different amounts of time. And then on top of it all, they get a big, uh, I guess you call it a prawn, like a giant shrimp. Mm -hmm. And watching, like, you know, the first time you ever have to like peel and devein a shrimp, and by vein, we mean we remove the poop. But anytime you have to do that for the first time, it's like each shrimp, as with opening an oyster, it feels like each one takes like 15 minutes. And then you get better at it and you develop a technique. You go twist, pull, turn, zip, bop. But like in this guy, like these guys case, this incredibly sharp knife, what they're able to do with like three slow, deft moves is just a wonder to watch. And then or fast. Like a, and well, but then well, they could do it fast, but like a lot of times it's just like they're not doing it faster than they need to. Because, and there's a time associated with each thing, right? It's so crazy. Some of these things need to be browned a little bit and then steamed. Some of these things need to be grilled and then moved to the side. You know what I mean? It isn't like this, the steak part is difficult and takes a lot of expertise and getting that sear right is such a challenge. But if you're ready to go to the next level and you got the stomach for it, some of the seafood stuff is absolutely incredible. Skip the lobster yeah. ones unless you're really ready for it. That, that's part of the competence part because in these tables, like, you know, they seat, you know, 12 people around them. So if you're a party of four or five, you're going to be there with some other family all around the same table. And this person's right. taken all of your orders and hasn't written anything down and is going to say you want your steak medium, medium well, well, and like has to monitor this time while, you know, while these steaks are cooking and moving them around. And have everything come then, out at roughly the same time. The kids' yeah. food can't come out 15 minutes after the parents. Yeah, that was the, one of the, I said with fast with the devaining because one of the things like, especially in America, everyone has huge portions, you know, for, for a giant full table around this thing, there'd be a million shrimp that have to be deveined. Oh and God, it was you're like right. This, Instead of two large prawns shared by two yeah, people. It was like an assembly line where you'd have the fork and the knife and go, <laughs> right. sh -sh 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 -sh. and like, it was like, it was like in a, you know, a machine where you'd pull one over, slice, slice, chuck, and then you'd slide it into the finished pot. Slice, slice, chuck, slice, slice, chuck, slice, slice, chuck. Faster than you've ever seen. You know, and the people in these and these videos are doing it much more carefully on larger, more expensive things. But, it's, you know, I, I saw one recently where it was like, yeah, deveining, but also they're going to cook the head separately and the body part and all the oh, little feeties. Yes. Good. All point. the little feeties yeah. separately. I don't know what those things are called. Yeah, and then they'll serve that as, as like its own, you know, uh, kind of thing. Like I said, with cut, slicing off the fat. Mm -hmm. um, but yep, like, I saw it's that all, one as well. It's very. Um, uh, economical, I guess, where it's like there's no there's no wasted movement, there's no wasted food, there's no wasted time, and it's nothing. It's also not hurried, like you know what I mean. Almost all of these. Part of what makes it amazing is that makes it so one might say relaxing. I mean, there's a reason that I wake up on the couch and these videos are still running, and that's because. <laughs> and I've learned, I've learned that if I feel the see, I'm learning, I'm growing. Mm -hmm. If I feel the impulse to wind down with one or two teppanyaki videos, I've learned to interpret that 
<laughs> as my mind telling me it's time to go to sleep. Right? So I will watch these to just kind of hang out and unwind. And like, you know, sometimes I'm just not up for the challenge of a TV show I keep meaning to watch. Like every episode of The Mandalorian, I'm savoring and watching two or three times. Like, and I'm not going to jump into that. <laughs> Contra all of my history, I don't like just jumping into something that I know I'm not going to be able to finish. But with these, it's like you watch an eight or ten or fifteen minute video, and so what's your verdict on this? What? What? Do you, how? I see. I I was going to say I was going to guess that you thought these were silly. I mean, they are silly hmm. in the way that YouTube videos are all silly, but they're mostly right up my alley. Like it, you're right that it's a, it really depends on my mood. I mean, I have a lot of videos that fall into different categories. Like, you know, I've mentioned on the show that I have past- like three different Tartovsky films. I keep meaning to watch <laughs> all the way through, but a Tartovsky movie is not in my wheelhouse at 12, 17 AM. Yeah. That's the exact amount of time before I f- go finish the final dishes, spend a penny and, and go to bed like a person. And, and like, I don't want to get involved in a whole thing and like, oh, should I jump back into Queen's Gambit? Like, I don't know. But anyway, so yeah. Okay, that's awesome to hear. And did it remind you of your childhood in some ways? It did. Uh, you just said spend a penny. And just yesterday, I was telling my daughter what that expression means because I said it on Ted Lasso, which I finally got my family to watch, or most of my family anyway. Um, yeah, I do. I do enjoy these and I use them in, you know, I like similarly to how i use them i know when <laughs> i'm in the mood for that i i watch car rebuilding videos a lot yeah. and that's another yeah. sort of slot like it's a slightly more engaging than this right it also depends on how hungry i am right because it's a food <laughs> yeah. related thing right so um so i do i do enjoy these i i i've always watched cooking shows from the youngest age so it's not surprising that i would like this but it also yeah it also made me think of my childhood and we do have a place like this near us back when we were still going to restaurants Every once in a while, say when my parents were out visiting, we'd be just wandering around and we'd see the place and we're like, hey, why don't we go there? It's, I forget what it's called. It's like Tokyo something or other. But I remember the first time we went there, I'm like, boy, I'm sure this won't be like my childhood place that I remember. We should try it out. It's exactly the same. Oh, Nothing has God. changed. Time, time stands still. In these, this is totally, <laughs> it's not Gosho's. It has a totally different name. But you go in there and it's the same. John, I swear to God, when this is all done, if it's ever all done, you come out here, and if they, they'll finally bring WWDC back to San Francisco, where, which is where it should have been all along. In any case, <laughs> if you find a way into the city next time you're here, we and our friends are so going to go out and get teppanyaki. Mm-hmm. 